You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, and uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us here. We're at our Lake Orion campus at Kensington Church today. Uh, my name is Sam Frangioni. I'm our arts director here at our campus, and uh, we just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day to join us um, it's been a, a whirlwind of a week. Uh, it's been an intense week. It's been a defeating week. Um, I don't know where you are watching from, but around here it's been, it's been hard for a lot of people. And we're just glad that you decided to take time to, to join us and to hear what God might have to say uh, this morning. We have our lead pastor, Craig McGlasson, here to, to take us through uh, what was already planned to talk about is this idea of Jesus' peace as we are in our Advent series in this time of preparing for the coming of Jesus, for the birth of Jesus and expecting. And um, it's going to be powerful and moving, and so I'm glad that you've decided to, to be here with us. Um, the whole day we wanted to plan in response to what happened this week um, in Oxford. But we also uh, have seen how God had already given us an opportunity to talk about peace and to talk about you, to talk about the community and about the person of Jesus. And during our nine o'clock, Craig uh, shared what was on his heart and how God has moved in him this week. And I believe that it's going to speak to you and to your situation, wherever you're watching from today. Um, it was, it was powerful. And so I would just encourage you to press in, um, to be willing to listen, be willing to hear and not to hear music or, or words as though they're from another person, but maybe to hear them as though they're from God himself and they're here for you. And so I just encourage you to, to be ready to hear that. And uh, we're just glad again that you decided to take time uh, here with us today. So I hope that you enjoy and are encouraged by the service. So thank you for being here.
song is laced with a word that if you read in the Bible, you'll see another 39 times at least in the Gospels. The Gospels are the collection of the books that deal exclusively with the life and the teachings of Jesus, his miracles, his promises. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's also a word that if you read through the entirety of the Bible, you'll find another 400 plus times. It's the word peace. It's the candle that we're going to light today as a part of our Advent series. And I want to read for you one of the most important moments of this word's appearance in the Bible and the promise that's contained in it. It's found in a book called Luke, which is one of those gospel passages. Luke chapter 2 says this. And there were shepherds. They were living out in a field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. So I've been doing a lot of work this week on this particular passage to really try to dive deeper and understand some of the words that are promised in here from words like fear and lack of fear. There's a collection of books that are used by a lot of people that do what I do and others called commentaries. Commentaries are books that try to make sense of what the Bible is trying to help us understand. And sometimes the commentaries explain whole segments of the Bible. Sometimes they're verse by verse. And I, I really try to spend some time with this promise that we don't need to be afraid. Was it for them? Was it for us? Was it for all? And I just want to add here that it was interesting. At one point, I read one commentator say that the reason the angels said, do not be afraid, this is what he said, is because, quote, in those days, angelic appearances evoked fear. And so they needed to be calmed down. And I read this week thinking, well, if a whole army of angelic beings playing instruments began to hover over my office space in the middle of a busy day, I think I might have a problem with it this day, not just in that day. But there's something important to understand about this lack of fear that I think we could easily miss by almost even saying something trite, like, well, people just got afraid and need to be calmed down. And I think the lack of fear is attached to what the angel ends with. And he goes on and he says, today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, would you just say the word with me? Peace. One more time. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. One of the things that's powerful about this passage is that at the entrance of Jesus into humanity, there's this angelic army that shows up that says, there is now an absence of fear, but then goes even further and says even better, there is the presence of peace. But I would imagine that for many of us, if not maybe all of us, the concept of peace carries a very different weight with it this week than it did last week. Maybe for some of you, the weight that it carries is hope. Maybe after the events of this last week, peace feels more hopeful, more weighty to you. But maybe for many of us, the weight carried with peace this week, different than last week, is a weight of doubt or a weight of anger, a weight of confusion, a weight of frustration, or just a weight of question. Where is peace right now? Because the events of this last week that have rocked so many lives 
so many personal lives all around this community, in this very community that I've spoken with all week long, including even this morning. That is the antithesis of peace. And yet when you read through the scriptures, all the way back to even the earliest pages, including 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a promise that at his entrance into humanity would come with him peace. This was a promise that before he ever came, started to be set up with his arrival. And then even in the very birth announcement, like we just read, the birth announcement itself, it was blue smoke and the promise of peace. And then there's Jesus, who's born, grows up to be a man, begins to teach, and at least 20 times, if not more, the subject of what he taught involved peace, peace that he would bring and peace that he would offer. But these are the moments where I think we find ourselves going, where's the peace? What is that peace? Because if peace really is what we just sang, peace is a promise. These are the moments in life that frankly, it feels like a broken one. But I do believe that there's true substance to peace. That peace isn't just a religious idea or even a good idea. It is a real one. So I wanna talk a little bit today about what peace is because this morning we're in this series called Advent and the candle that we are on today and have planned to be on is peace. And and we talked this week about whether or not we address something different, do we talk different? And I think this is exactly where God would have us to land today in the midst of everything we're going through is to understand what it means that he is the God who brings peace. Because otherwise, how do we understand a time of year where we set aside specifically to celebrate the bringer of peace being the most anxious time of year, let alone add to it all that we're going through right now and the horror of what just happened to our Oxford neighbors. How do you understand and grab hold of the concept of peace in this moment? So here's what I'd love to do. I wanna, I just wanna take a minute and I wanna acknowledge so many lives who are suffering and hurting, certainly the four that were lost, several still in the hospital trying to recover, many, many, many more who are wounded and hurting internally, even if there's not a physical wound. So I wanna pray for a minute, but I wanna give a moment of pause and silence. Because I wanna ask that if, if you pray, if you're a praying person, I just wanna ask it where you're at, where you're sitting, that you'd pray. Just pray how God would lead you. And if you're not a praying person, then that's great, that's fine. Here's what I would just ask, is that let your silence for the next moment, just bend your heart and your affection towards those who are hurting. So for the next minute, we're just gonna be in silence. And then I'm gonna pray. And then we're going to try and understand this concept of peace today. If you know this, would you pray this with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Father, I'm so thankful that Jesus did give us words and 
and ways to express ourselves to you. At a time when men and women did not have access to your throne in your ear, that they had to go through prophets and through others, that Jesus showed up, bridged that gap, and then invited all of us to be able to speak to you with confidence that before your throne, our voices would be heard. And I'm also thankful that he didn't confine our ability to speak to you just to one kind of prayer. I'm thankful that we could come to you and we could cry out to you with whatever words come to us, whatever feelings, emotions, anger, doubt, distrust, weeping, sadness, all of it, God, that you allow us and invite us to bring to bear all we are into your presence. And so, God, we do that this morning. For many of us that are hurting directly, for many of us that are hurting indirectly as a result of this last week, God, we come to you on behalf of the families who are in so much pain right now at the loss of people they loved, for families who are watching their loved ones still recover, for so many, Father, whose wounds aren't visible but are real and are deep. God, we come to you and we ask that somehow in all of this wicked madness and evil, that you would step into it as I know you already are, but ask that you continue to do so in such a real, tender, close way that there'd be no denying that the God of heaven put his foot down in this place. Would you walk among us in a way that is undeniable? Would you show to be true what your scriptures promise us, which you are light and in you there is no darkness. So may your light push back the darkness right now, not just of what happened, but what's still happening, God. As I've been speaking to officials this morning in our school system who are receiving all kinds of hate and wickedness and evil directed at them, God, would you close the mouths as you did the lions with Daniel of those who are just offering more hate and wickedness in this moment. Would the voices of those of love and compassion and support be louder than any other and would the presence of your own be more felt than anything else god i pray that you would lead our community in the days ahead i pray that you would lead our leaders in the days ahead from those in the school system and teachers and politicians and pastors and youth leaders and all of the like father who are going to be stepping into this to figure out how to navigate and make decisions and how to be at the front lines of caring for our kids would you give them tremendous grace and wisdom, impart to them the right words at the right moment, and I pray especially right now, Father, for the administration in Oxford, for the teachers, for the students, for the school board. God, would you guard and protect their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, giving to them a comfort that we wouldn't even know how to ask, and so we rely on your words to be true that say at times when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit makes intercession on our behalf with words and groans that can't be understood. So Holy Spirit, speak on our behalf in ways that we wouldn't even know how to speak, with requests we wouldn't even know how to make. To the end of healing, and to the end of hope, and to the end of true peace. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to be careful not to make the assumption this morning that all of us understand uh, the concept of Advent the same way. For some of you, maybe there's a, a thought that Advent simply is reference to the series that we're in. And it's just a Christmassy name. Maybe some of you, your church tradition, uh, Advent was an important tradition this time of year. And so maybe for some of you, you have 
a little bit different understanding what Advent is. So I'm gonna give a quick explanation of Advent and why it matters to us and why I think today particularly, even aside of this last week, this specific candle of Advent is a difficult one to understand. So Advent, the word, it literally means the coming or the arrival, and it's the, it's the celebration, the longest one in the entire church history for 2,000 years of the arrival of Jesus. But because of the nature of Advent being the celebration of his arrival, it's also an anticipation of his coming again. So there's essentially two Advents celebrated at the same time. One is the acknowledgement that God came to earth, but the other is his promise that he will come again. And when he does, the king who steps off of his throne will right everything that's wrong in this world. And so there is this, this hopeful anticipation of what's to come while also looking back at the celebration of what was. And so the candles, maybe this is obvious, but the candles, because of light and its connection to Jesus, become representative not just of Jesus, but particularly of different things that he says he brought with him into creation and humanity. For example, there is love, joy, peace, and hope. And today is peace. But I think of all of them, the truth is peace is probably one of the more difficult ones to understand. And to really believe that it's something that's real and not just an idea or a religious concept, but it's an actual experience that we can have. Because just think about our way of life. Think about our rush, rush, busy, busy, falling to bed at the end of the night with nothing left to give way of life that's not just the fast pace of Christmas. It's the fast pace of, of every day of life. You add to that the fact that we live in a war-torn world, a, a broken home culture, a planet where men and women and children still die of hunger and thirst, and living in the days of experiencing children shooting children, you have to ask yourself then, what is peace and where do we actually experience it? Because in those moments and this reality in which we live, peace seems far more like an idea than an actual true reality of experience for us. One of the things that I wanna do this morning is give you a picture of what I think peace is that I do think points us to what is the substance of peace beyond just being an idea, beyond just being some ethereal concept, being a reality that we can step into. In the Bible, oftentimes, moments that are devoid of peace are described as a storm, or there's moments of storm that literally show and reflect peace being stripped out of a moment. I wanna read one of those to you right now because, again, I think it's a picture of what peace looks like. And I think it then points us to what the substance of peace is that we can actually grab hold of. So if you have a Bible, we're gonna be all over the place today, but we're gonna start in a book called Mark. And if you don't have a Bible, or if you're not just quite sure how to navigate it yet, that's not a problem either. We're gonna go ahead and put everything up on screen for you. So Mark, chapter four, verse 35. That day when evening had come, he said to his disciples, he being Jesus, let us go over to the other side and leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. And there were also other boats that were with them. A furious squall came upon them, and waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's a question for today. There's no way to live through a moment like this, no matter how strong your faith, and not wonder to some degree or another, God, do you even care right now? So the disciples in their panic come to Jesus and they ask him a question I think many of us are asking him right now, is don't you care? So Jesus in response got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. 
And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I think one of the things that's important to note about the disciples is that they're fishermen. These aren't weakened warriors out on the lake. These are men that know the water, they know weather. So if they're panicking, they're not panicking because they're just being dramatic. Like this is a genuine storm that's threatening their life. This is a moment to, to genuinely panic for. It's worthwhile to panic for. And in the midst of this panic, they're in a storm. And in the midst of this storm, what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. So I've heard a lot of language this last week that I think, frankly, is storm language. Language like, this is going to never end. It just keeps coming in waves and buckets. Matter of fact, I just spoke with somebody even this morning that said that. They said, this whole thing feels like a whirlwind right now. And then they told me about several things that they've personally gone through this last year. And then they're an administrator in the Oxford school system. And they said, it just feels like in my life, it's coming wave after wave after wave. And that's what storms do. They create waves. And that's what waves do. They disrupt peace. They attempt to take it away from us. And it doesn't matter how big the waves are. Sometimes the waves can be two feet. Sometimes they're 10 feet. Sometimes they're 100 feet. Here's a couple of truths in this passage. Storms produce waves. Waves affect peace. It doesn't matter how big they are. Here's another truth. They're indiscriminate. When storms come, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your status in life. Frankly, it doesn't matter what you believe. Storms are indiscriminate, and they hit us, and they hit all of us. And they're disruptive to peace. And if that's where the story ended, it'd be pretty hopeless. But there's also another truth in here. It is the example that points to the substance. Here's the example. The example is that there is actually peace in the midst of any storm. Jesus puts it on full display as he sleeps in the middle of the storm. He's at rest. It's a peace that other places in the Bible talk about by saying it transcends understanding. In other words, it's a peace that literally shouldn't happen and doesn't make sense in the midst of what you're going through. The disciples display that, right? I mean, this is, this is their experience. It doesn't make sense to them that Jesus is sleeping. And so they're freaking out. And as a result of the fact that it doesn't make sense that he's at peace, what they do is they mistake his lack of panic for a lack of concern. And so they run to him and like, clearly you don't care because you're not panicking. And the truth is he absolutely cared. What they didn't realize in that moment is that not too long later, he would actually give his life for them. There's no greater concern that anyone ever had for those men, but that man in the boat with them. But in this moment, his sleeping was not a posture of a lack of concern. It was a posture of peace. The ability for him in the midst of a storm that genuinely was threatening to rest and be at ease. My question is, is it just something that was available to Jesus or to us? Like, was Jesus just trying to show us something that, that he could tap into or something that we can tap into? Because in the passage, what he does is he displays an example of what peace actually looks like, the ability to be at rest and calm no matter how rough the waves get, no matter what the threat is, no matter how hard it hits you, no matter how painful, no matter the risk, no matter the danger, to be at rest. That's where he shows it. But just showing it doesn't tell us how to get to it and where it's found. So I'm going to take you to another place in the Bible, in the book of John, where Jesus, in one verse, very simply, I think, tells us, here's where you get this peace. It is real, and it is attainable, and here's where it's located. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave you. Peace I leave you with. My peace I give you, and I do not give it to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Here's what Jesus says. There is a peace, and I give it. Now, here's an important distinction. He says, I do not give it as the world gives it. 
So Jesus says, the peace that allows you to sleep through any storm that is real, it is not an idea, it is an experience available to you. He says this, I have it. I give that kind of peace and the world does not give it. You cannot find this peace in the world. You wanna know how to make it through any storm, including even the evil of the one we're in now? It doesn't come from this world, it comes from Jesus. And here's the beauty in that promise. If there is a peace available to G- from Jesus that does not come from this world, here's the promise, the world can't take it away. If it doesn't come from the world, the world can't take it from you. If your peace isn't in your marriage, then your marriage can't take it from you. If your peace isn't in your job, then your job can't take it from you. If your peace isn't in life working out nice and fine and no flaws, then when life falls apart, your peace can't be robbed from you. If your peace is not in this world, the world can't take it from you. Jesus says, if you want this peace, I'm telling you, here's where it's at. The world doesn't have it. I do. And that's why he could say, when I give it to you and you take it from me, you have cause to no longer be afraid. It's the same thing that the angels said when they proclaimed his arrival into humanity. But even telling us where it is doesn't necessarily tell us how to get to it or how to attain it for ourselves. So I want to give you another place in the book of Luke where I think, again, looking at the prophecy of Jesus to come tells us what it is he would do in his coming that indicates how it is that we access this peace. So if you go to the book of Luke, again, one of the Gospels, it's where we started at first when I read chapter 1. Luke says this, verse 76. Now, mind you, this is a prophecy in part about two people, uh, John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner for Jesus, but also then it shifts in the writing to be directly about Jesus. So the first verse is referencing John, and you, my child, this is John's father, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. Now it shifts. Now it's going to talk about Jesus and what he would do. Verse 77. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet, three words, into the path of peace. Those three words, I think, begin to give indication of how it is that we access this peace. Into the path of peace. Those three words together, they they identify a sort of direction. They identify a journey. Into path peace. So what he's saying is peace is along this path. You've got to get into it. So the path, I want you to think this. In other words, it is an intentional, decisive, directional decision-making process. Nobody goes on a journey and they're just like, ah, we'll just see where we go. Right? You put it into your phone, or you ask Siri, or you map quest it, if anybody does that anymore. But you, you have a direction. You have intentionality behind where you're going. So he starts off first saying there is a path to peace. There is a direction to it. But then he uses this word into. And this is so important because if it's possible to walk into peace, then it must also be possible to what? Walk out of peace. If you can walk into it, then you can walk out of it. And so here's what I think is being told about what Jesus would do upon his arrival. Is that part of what he would do is he would lead us into a path of peace, which means how do we access peace? You've got to choose the direction you go and keep going that direction. What's the direction? Towards Jesus, with Jesus, for Jesus, like Jesus. There is a path towards him, and we have to choose that. See, sometimes I think we wonder, like, where does peace come from? Do I just sit and meditate? Does it fall on me? Does it well up inside of me? Like, how do I actually access peace? 
conscious decision-making to walk in the path of Jesus towards it. And along the way, stay the course. Because if you're in the path, into, you can at any point walk out of and head another way. But, okay, so here's the thing. So Jesus says, I have peace. How do you get that peace? You've got to walk in the path of it. What's the path of it? I'm the path of it. You'll walk with me. But what is it? Because the truth is, there's a lot of people right now. Some of you in this room, some of you listening online. Some that were here this morning. Many that will be here on Tuesday who are Jesus-loving, Jesus-pursuing people, walking into the path, and yet they're living through the worst storm of their lives. How do you explain what peace is to them, to you, to us? I want to give you a couple of things that I think are the essence of what peace really is, that I pray and hope pulls it down from an ethereal idea to something we can actually take hold of. It starts, I think, with another single word that's in that same passage I just read. Here's what I want to do. I actually want to get a little participation, see if you're as, as quick to realize it as the first service. So in this verse, I want to, in this passage, I want to read one verse that we just read. There's a word in there that I think is the start of the substance of peace for us. So when you think I've read it, just acknowledge it. Say, that's it. All right? You ready? Seriously. Here we go. Verse 76. I'm going to, 76, I'm going to back up. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now pay attention. Here we go. Verse 77. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the... Come on. You got it? Okay. Oh, you got it. Good. Way to go. I'm just going to say first service was a little quicker on the draw, guys. (laughs) To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Listen. When Jesus says, I offer a peace the world doesn't offer, it's because his peace begins in this place, salvation, through the forgiveness of our sins. The peace that God offers that the world cannot is because God genuinely said, I am making a way for you to know me and me to know you. I am making a way for all that is and all who are to be made right with me. There is sin that has separated us from our God, and Jesus said, not on my watch. Listen to me, the truth of the Bible is ultimately at its pinnacle this. There is a God of creation. His name is Jesus. Our sin has separated us from him. His death and resurrection is the means and the method for us to have relationship with our creator. Peace begins with salvation, and the world can't offer that. That's why Jesus says, I offer a peace the world cannot give you. But here's the thing. Just like we said a minute ago, walking into, walking out of, you have to walk into this. Salvation doesn't just fall on us like rain. It is a conscious choice to say, yes, if you offer it, I want it. Let me give you one more verse that doesn't have the word peace in it. It's in the Old Testament, but I think it has everything to do with what we're talking about. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that appears to be right, and some of your versions may say unto man. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Can I just tell you, and I think many of you know this, and I think moments like what we're living through right now put the magnifying glass on it, so may we pay attention to this. Our world, our lives have created a lot of different paths that we're walking into to try to make life work to try to make it meaningful, joyful, rewarding, and beautiful. And can I just tell you, most of it does not work. There is a way that seems right to man, and in the end, it leads to death. 
I would just tell you any path we attempt to journey down to find peace, meaning, purpose, or anything else that is not Jesus will take us nowhere. And we've created a whole lot of paths that are leading us to nowhere at best, to death at worst. In all of human history, what we have now is the best we've been able to create. Think about that. And I'm not talking technology, otherwise you could say, well, it's not too bad from past times. I'm talking about humanity. Not technology, humanity, how we treat one another, how we love one another, how we honor one another. In all of human history, the moment we're living in right now is the best we have been able to create about how people love people, and it includes a world where children shoot children. Our ways don't work. And I pray that one of the things that may rise out of this evil right now is an acknowledgement among us like never before that our ways apart from Jesus are death and they don't work. That we would be committed to walk in the ways of peace and life that are his and is him. Jesus doesn't just offer a salvation, though. What comes out of salvation that I think is also the essence of peace is presence. Let me show you another verse if you, in the Old Testament, if you're still there. Chapter 23 of the book of Psalms. We read this from David, the author. The Lord is my shepherd, and so I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths of right for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the darkest death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I love that David says, I don't know if I love or it's important, but David says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me, and so you comfort me. Peace is not a destination. Sometimes that's what we think peace is. But when we think peace is a destination, then we've got to get somewhere or we've got to get away from something. Peace is not a destination, it is a person. See, one of the things about Jesus is not just that he brings peace, gives peace, has peace, he literally is peace, he's the very essence of peace. Which is why David can say, even when I'm in the valley of death, I feel peace, I feel comfort, why? Because if you're with me, you are peace, he is peace. See, what we tend to do is we attach peace to the subtraction of something from our lives. Like, peace is a lack of war or a lack of conflict, a lack of pain, a lack of suffering. Jesus never attached peace to the absence of anything but the presence of someone, which is himself. He says, I am peace, which is why he can say, even in the darkest of days, you can actually know peace if I'm with you because I am it. And so I bring comfort. The, the equation of peace is not subtraction, it's addition. It's not get this out of my life, it's get more of him into my life. That's what provides peace. But here's the beauty of community, is that the peace I think God offers, especially to his community called the church, his body, he says, is not just his own presence, it's the presence of one another. We saw it on Tuesday night. For many of you that were here, I mean, the stories that we heard and the people that we talked to, the one young man at the end that I spoke with, I mean, he literally crawled out of a window and ran. And that night, he just wanted to be left alone and be at home, and then he heard about a gathering, 
And he told me, he said, I decided I needed to be there. And so he got his mom, who's a teacher in the district, and his sister, who's a teacher in the district. And he got a whole slew of his friends to come and show up. They took up pretty much that whole row right there. And at the end, he came up and he just said, I really needed to be here with everybody tonight. I think this is the start of me finding some healing. There is power in the presence of us being together which is why one of the dangerous things that the enemy will try to do in moments like this is pull us apart from each other. And what we need to do is we need to press into one another. Sometimes the power of community is is this, it's in a large group. Sometimes the power of community is with a small huddle. Sometimes the power of community is even going to the next level and, and asking for assistance from a professional to help you maybe dig out some of what's going on in here. For some of us, the events of this last week have created a trauma that I don't, I don't even know if in community we'll fully know how to help one another. Or some of you, the last week has brought out from inside what was already there, trauma from something else, that maybe the temptation would be to just stuff it or to kind of superficially address it. But maybe for some of us, what we need is community here and Maybe we need to sit down with a counselor. Maybe we need to sit down with somebody. I'll I'll tell you a story that's a little bit embarrassing that I even have to admit this, but years ago I worked uh, at a church that we owned a counseling center, and one of the guys that I worked with, he was the director of that counseling center, so he split his time between the church and the center. And there was one day we were talking in the hallway at the church, just having a conversation, catching up a little bit, and as only a counselor can do, it turned into a serious conversation, and it was really good. It was a time of my life when I just had a lot of stuff going on inside that I didn't know what to do with. And I didn't know how to process through, even with my community that I had around me. And so we, we, he kind of brings me into this conversation without me realizing it. And, and then it just went long. And so he finally says to me, he's like, hey, this week, why don't you come over to the office and uh, we'll, we'll keep the conversation going. I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're doing. I'm like, no, 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 I don't need counseling. And here's where I'm ashamed to admit this. At that time in my life, I used to think that people that needed counseling, like that's next level messed up, right? Like, I might have some messed up stuff, but that's like next level. I don't need that kind of, I don't need counseling. So I said, I'm like, listen, dude, I'm not coming into the counseling center. He says, great, not a problem. Why don't you just come pick me up and uh, we'll go grab coffee one day. I'm like, yeah, I could do that. Coffee's good. That's not threatening. He says, great, Wednesday, come to my office, pick me up. We'll go grab some Starbucks. Good. So Wednesday I showed up, I walked in and immediately was like, ooh, who's going to notice me? So I'm like sneaking in. I'm like, hey, I'm here for Scott. And so I hear Scott talk to the receptionist and say, hey, tell Craig I got to wrap up a few things. He can either wait in the lobby for me or he can come back here and wait in my office. I was like, I'm not going to wait in the lobby where people can see me because then I'm next level, right? So I'm going to go back in the, so I go back in there and he's meandering around, shoving stuff in his briefcase. He's like, just give me a couple minutes. I'm like, yeah, not a problem. He's like, go ahead and have a seat. So I sit down. We start talking. We're like goofing around. Before I know it, the talk got more serious. And then it gets like super probing. And then I'm talking about my dad. And then I realize, oh crap, I'm sitting on the couch. I'm like, is this the couch? He's like, it's the couch. I'm like, dude, you totally just ambush counseled me, didn't you? He's like, "Mm." he just smiled. I sat on that couch for the next two years. And it became one of the most healing things I've ever been through. And what I realized at the end of it is, there's no such thing as, as kind of messed up and varsity messed up. There's humanity. And sometimes humanity just wreaks havoc on us. And we need the help of community. And sometimes we need the help of a counselor. And sometimes we need both. But there is a power that is available to us that creates peace in the presence of Jesus and in the presence of his community. 
these are not the times for us to try to, to man up. These are the times that we need to open up. When, when, when shattered moments of peace happen like this, these are the moments that we need to reach out and not pull back. That we need to ask for help, not just say, I'm good. These are the moments that we genuinely need to weep with those who weep and not try to answer what can't be answered to begin with. These are the moments that we need to pursue the presence of Jesus who says all sorts of things about his response in the Bible, like he is close to the brokenhearted. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you seek me, you will find me. These are the moments that we need to pursue the presence of Jesus. Why? Because he is the essence of peace so that even when we're in the valley of death, we can know comfort if we're with him. And these are also the moments we need to pursue the presence of one another. I think Jesus and Jesus alone offers peace that is in the substance of salvation. It is the substance of presence. But I also think it's in the substance of eternal hope, which again, only he can offer. The end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, paints a day that is yet to come that looks like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and he will be with them, their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Here's the promise of God, that there is a new order to come. The hope of eternity is not you and I flying around on clouds with harps. The pictures we've created of heaven are so bizarre at best and just creepy at worst. Heaven is the recreation of this earth. It is the recreation to what was intended to be. It is the day that God, according to this, stands up from the throne upon which he now sits. He puts his foot down. He says, the order of this day is done. And he brings a new order to bear. And that is an order where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more shootings. Every eye is dry of a tear. And peace is the presiding reality for all who have received his salvation. There will be a day God turns this page. There will be a day. It is not just wishful thinking. There is a promise. That's why he says, write this down, because these words are trustworthy and true. If God is God and he makes us a promise, he cannot break that promise. And his promise to us is this, I'm going to write the mess of this world and I'm going to return it to what it should have been. And there is peace in knowing that no matter how broken these moments and days are, one day they will end. There's a promise that God says, even in the pit of the valley of death, know this one day, I will lift you out of it and I will put you on the mountaintop for those who receive my salvation. And there's one more peace that I think he gives us. It's the peace that we now have the power to be peacemakers. In the book of Matthew is recorded the longest sermon that Jesus ever gave to us, Matthew chapter 5. And in one short verse, I think he instills in us and to us a mission that was his imparted to us that is intended not just for these moments, but definitely for these moments. Verse 9 of chapter 5, Jesus taught, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
children of God are peacemakers. I had to admit this last week, even as recent as this morning, that there are ways in my own life I'm not creating peace right now. There's conflict with a close circle in my life right now of people I love that I've been wounded and hurt by. And this is something that's gone on for years. And I feel very justified in being upset. And I have the they owe me posture. And even this morning, I feel like God just spoke to me and said, you have no right to hold offense if you follow me who has forgiven all offense. These are the moments that if we are the children of God, may we rise up and be peacemakers. Even listening this morning to somebody who works in the district that said the amount of hate and accusation and emails and the putrid things being said against the teachers and against the board is just, it's disgusting. It's evil. It is not peacemaking. It's part of why this world reeks with a lack of peace. We have to admit that we create it. These are the moments may we as the children of God rise up and say not on our watch. We will be peacemakers. This is what Jesus died for is to say, my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What happens with peace is that it comes from him to us and then it's to come through us to others. When Jesus came, what he did is he modeled for us a different way of life where he took our way and flipped it upside down and introduced an entirely new ethic into humanity. It is the ethic of forgiving those who have wounded you, going the extra mile, loving your enemies. Can you imagine a world like that instead of one reeked with hatred, bitterness, anger, frustration, lack of forgiveness? Because that's not the world Jesus imagined. And here's the thing. We have not just the instruction to be peacemakers, but the power. There's a verse in the Bible that literally says that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. If you have acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior and said, I need you, I want you, if you're walking with him, then part of the promise is his spirit, his power is in you. That means to the people that have wounded me, I don't just have to grit my teeth and go try to be better. I can actually default back to and tap into a supernatural power within me to you offer to them what I can't otherwise do. Amen. So can you. Part of how we will change this wicked, putrid evil is to be men and women that say, we will be peacemakers in a world that is wrecked with evil. I want to show you a video because I want to really make sure that we grasp this one. It is possibly one of those tangible ways, aside of all we can grab of Jesus for ourselves to know peace, to then actually go out and extend peace. And Kensington has an, a number of relationships locally and globally that God has just opened amazing opportunities for us to experience peace, to extend peace. And one of the ones that I'm the most proud of is our partnership in Nepal where we are fighting the evil and the wickedness of human trafficking, trying to enter into some of the darkest, most broken, vile places of humanity where people sell people and trying to bring peace. And I want you to see a picture of what happens, what we've created as a community when we're willing to step into the dark places and be peacemakers and how it doesn't just change lives. Listen to me, it has the potential to change this planet. Watch this. 
Well, it's a privilege, as always, to sit with you and to hear your heart and what's happening in Nepal. I've had a chance to go to Nepal three times now and be under your leadership and your guidance and your team's guidance. And the work that you do there is what I consider just extraordinary kingdom work. And many people may not know what kind of work that you do. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about uh, the work that God placed on your heart years ago and what's happening in Nepal. I do, me and my family, especially me and my wife and my whole staff, we've been involved in rescuing the young Nepali girls who've been trafficked, tempted, lured, and taken out of the country and be sold in different countries, including India and as far as the African continent and the Middle East and the primary market. So we go and rescue them there. Either we stop them at the border points from being taken, or once they're taken, we try to go and get them back to our country. You're pushing against some of the darkest forces in the world, you know, other humans trafficking other humans for gain, you know, and especially the most vulnerable in the community. So it's a kind of, to be honestly speaking, it is a fight against power of principalities. It's a fight against the darkness. And sometimes the enemy is so invisible and we don't know. But I think by the grace of God, we've been able to fight. And that's one of the things, key things, is that we have a partner's churches like you who have been praying on our behalf. Because the prayer, through that prayer, we fight this fight. So we go in dark and deep places and we bring them out. We, we break the wall or we stop them at the border points. Sometimes it turns to be a physical fight too, but we tend not to. So, but it does have to involve some of the forces to bring them back. But more of these things is, can be won through a prayer too. When you rescue the daughters, you have a system put in place and Kensington's been able to partner, one of, of many pieces, have been able to partner with you and invest in safe homes. I'd yeah. love you to talk about the newest safe home and what that means for your ministry. Once the daughter been rescued at the border stations, and they have no way to go. Right. So we primarily take them to our transit home. And uh, once we get them into transit home, we try to connect with the families. And then if they cannot go back home, if the family be involved in trafficking, and that's a point they need a place to go in. We had a small safe house that's capacity of 20 girls at a time, and we were desperately needing mm -hmm. another safe home. We were praying, God, God, give us the safe home. And that's where the Kensington whole community stood with us. And we are ever thankful we thank God, and we are ever thankful for the Kensington community. They provided us resources to build the second safe home. Second safe home going to accommodate about 40 girls at a time. It's those daughters that go through the process of your organization, through the safe home, that meet Jesus, that are restored back to dignity, and are given skills many times uh, to survive in, in that particular country. And then also, they are the leaders of the church movement in that area. So they're going back up into their context many times in leading churches. Can you just speak briefly about that? These safe homes are not merely a building only. Yes, this is a building. This is a place where the girls come and accommodate there and they leave and forget their past pain and try to kind of be a new person as the Lord speaks to their heart. And so this does happen. The physical changes happen. But at the same time, these daughters, with the passion that you have, with the DNA that the Kensington has, they start multiplying there. They come to know Jesus Christ, and they believe in him as a personal one savior and a one true God. And they start being discipled there. And as they've been discipled there, they start getting a vocational trainings 
to go and learn the trainings and be a kind of economically self-sufficient person mm -hmm. to go back into the society with the society who's repelled them back in the past, which forced them to go to the foreign country to earn money. Now the girl has come back in their own society with a skill and teaching other girls in that community, other, other peer in the community to teach how to sew or how to cook or how to cut the hair, whatever the skill, the trade, they have learned it. And now, along with that, they get a platform to share their story. Mm -hmm. They get a platform to share their testimony. What changed their life? And they are the one now making peace. So in my opinion, Kensington Investments is not a building. The Kensington Investment has a ripple effect that ends at the society, as society turning to Christ. I think it'd be good for us to hear a couple specific stories of the daughters. It's beautiful to actually hear tangible stories because so can you share a couple of those? Sure, yeah, I mean lots of stories but I would like to share the story of a girl daughter named Nisa. Nisa was born and brought up in a eastern part of the country in a very poor and tribal family and as her family background is very poor. She was, when she was at the age of 12, she been trafficked. But the time came that we've been able to rescue her out of that. We, as we rescued, now Nisa in the safe home, and we asked Nisa, do you want to learn the vocational skill? No. And eventually she ran away from the safe home. Later on, Nisa called us and saying that, Uncle, I'm in my village, but I saw the person who trafficked me. Would you like to help me to arrest her? And I said, okay. Let's go. With the help of a police, we get arrested. And Nisa felt, I'm unsafe now. Can I come to the safe house? She came to the safe house second time and said, do you want to learn a skill? She says, no. Can you make me a fighter? I want to fight and rescue more girls from that human trafficking. I have seen, experienced that thing, and I want to bring many other daughters like me. See, it's just 17 years old, Nisa. Now she's about 21, she's the one, the hero, talking about the pain, how to use the pain of her life as a platform to bring and rescue other many. She goes and talks to the people, aware of the people, and she tells the testimony, this is the God who changed my life. This is the God who rescued me from the dark and deep places. Now she is an angel going and changing the society. God chose them. God chose the daughters who ever been neglected and despised now take the message his message of redemption to the community so this is my desire nowadays i mean this is my desire to see his kingdom come his message being preached through these daughters to these dark and deep places that's my desire that's my passion that message of christ the redemption be preached by the daughters I love how Ramesh refers to the women that they've rescued as, as daughters, not victims, not even just women, they're daughters. And I think my heart, as well as I know so many of yours, has been to our Oxford neighbors, you are our brothers and sisters. Peacemaking is the only thing in the name of Jesus that I know of that has the power to drive back evil and darkness. 
It's a verse in the Bible in the book of Jeremiah where I think God gives instruction to what maybe needs to be our reaction in all of this today. Chapter 33, verse 3, he says this, If you call out to me, I will answer you, and I will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. He goes on and he says, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this city and the royal places of Judah that have been torn down. There is a tearing that has taken place. C.S. Lewis even once said that the loss of a beloved is like an amputation. There is a loss and a tearing like no other in our city. And preceding God acknowledging that, what he said and invited his people to do was to cry out to me. And his promise was, if you do, I will answer you. There's a story I've shared here before. I just want to share it again because I think it has power to this moment. It's a story of years ago, I was at this concert and if you don't know me personally, I tend to be quite the skeptic. Uh, I'm, I'm a hard sell on most things. I have probably battled with my faith far more than you would expect. Over the years, the things that I have come to believe have not come easy. God has really had to work me over because my first knee-jerk reaction is always doubt and skepticism. So knowing that about me, I'm at this Christian concert, still a, a walker with Jesus Christ at that point, and there was this kid, I'll never forget, I was in the balcony watching this whole thing happen, maybe several hundred people in this room. There was a young man all the way in the front, on the floor, front row, so I bird's eye view to it, and at one point at the end, they, they literally wrapped up, they were done. It was, they'd already come back out and done the second return to the stage, and now they're done and ready. And this, this young man, I'll never forget, he falls to his knees, and I mean a thud that could have been heard in the room, and he just starts shouting, calling out, Jesus said, call out to me and I will answer. He starts calling out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it gets louder and louder and loud. Like the band literally starts staring at each other. Like they didn't know what to do. Like, uh, keep playing. And so they did. They just started playing still. And then he kept going and going and louder and louder. And then the whole room began to follow him. And so here's me, shame on me. My skeptical nature, my cynical nature was like, what's this kid doing? You got your four Jesus, Jesus, Jesuses. We're done. They, they, didn't you see they wrapped up? Encore, over. Let's go home. And he just kept going. And I think it was out of my own immaturity that I couldn't understand that in that moment, whatever was happening, he knew he didn't care about the people around him. He cared about the God who heard him. And he cried out to him. And here's what I don't know. I'll never know what he was going through in that moment. But here's what I do know. God met him. How do I know that? Because he promised he'd do it. I don't know if you have ever called out to Jesus. I don't know if this whole idea of church and God is just such a foreign, distant idea to you that maybe today you just put your toe in the water because of everything that's going on, or maybe you just wandered in today for other reasons, but I will not leave the stage without inviting you today if you have never called on the name of Jesus to call on him, whether for the first time or for the 500th time, he will answer you and respond to you. There is a peace available to you that is only found in Jesus Christ. But it begins with salvation, which is the acknowledgement that there is a God. His name is Jesus. He was killed on a cross. He walked out of the grave, and he's coming again. And you go, but I got lots of questions. So do I. You go, I got lots of doubts. Welcome to my party. But I believe this. The God of creation knows you by name, and you matter. 
He gave his life for you and he would have done it if you were the only you that existed. If there was no others. Because you, to him, are a son or a daughter. There's a a verse in the book of Romans that says, here's how that happens. You just acknowledge with your mouth and your heart. You believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and you acknowledge that Christ is Lord. If you could do that even in the privacy of your own seat right now, there is something supernatural that happens that God says, I respond. But for some of us, you've responded and he's responded and you're in that relationship. This is the moment to continue to cry out and trust that he will hear us and the brokenness of our city, he will respond. He will show up, he will be present and I don't know how he'll do it and I don't know to what end, but I know the God of creation promises, cry to me and I'll answer you. So may we be committed, regardless of what anyone else thinks. I don't care if in the next song you need to shout Jesus, shout Jesus. Don't worry about the people around you. Don't worry about what anyone thinks, because there is a name above all names. There is a name of power. The name is Jesus. The name at which every knee will one day bow, and presently all humanity derives its name. The name that when we cry to, when we pray to, we do so over an empty grave that holds the promise that he and he alone holds peace. That's why we can sing the song we're gonna sing, Waymaker, because he and he alone can make a way where there seems to be no way. So may you sing, pray, cry, worship, as is appropriate during this. I just want to invite you to stand and join us as we cry out together to our God. And as Craig shared, that crying out, it could look like shouting these words at the top of your lungs or just calling out the name of Jesus, but it could also look like standing in silence and opening your heart to the presence of God that I promise is in this place this morning. And in it, you will find comfort and healing hope and peace that shatters pain. So let's cry out together this morning and sing this song, Waymaker.
rendition of O Come Emmanuel in just a minute before we do, before Joe and the band leads us through that. I, I just, a couple things I want to let you know about that we're trying to do today and in the next couple days just to respond. Um, for starters, as we end today and when we're done with O Come Emmanuel, as you leave, we would just ask that you would leave a little different today, uh, more quiet. We're going to continue to let this be a space for some of you that just need to sit and process, uh, maybe sit and pray. There's gonna be a team of people, our, our prayer team, as well as a number of staff that are around the building, or even if you're in the room, uh, you didn't know you were being asked, surprise, you're being asked. If you could be up front, we would love to use you. So if, if we can pray with you, uh, please come do that. It was a real privilege this morning uh, after the first service. I know for a number of us to be able to pray with a number of people and just be compassionate in the moment. So if we could do that with one another, just leave quietly, let this be a space. We're gonna kind of continue in after the song here. Um, but also we have some things help coming up tonight for our students and then things coming up after tonight for our families. So I'm gonna let you two uh, introduce yourselves and just tell us what we've got coming up. Uh, my name is Jesse. If you haven't met yet, I uh, would love to meet you. Um, but I work with the students here at Orion and as we were praying through this week and just processing what we could do as a, a team, uh, we wanted to provide a space for students just to, to show up. And I know that that's been happening all week all over the city in different aspects and different ways, but we wanted to just do that again tonight. Um, just a space for, we've been reaching out to churches, calling lots of churches around the area, organizations, just to say we're opening our doors. This is not a Kensington event. This is a community event where students can just come and be together. 
spend time, process, pray. We're gonna have some worship. We're singing this song tonight, which I love that you led it this morning. Um, just to process through and to go through this together. We're gonna have spots where they can write letters, where they can process through art, where they can do different things just to begin to walk through and heal together. So that is for students of any background, anywhere you're at, if you're processing at all the events of this week, we would love to have you out. Now as adults, when you're not invited to an event, what do you do, right? And we want you to partner with us in saying that you will pray for this event tonight. Not only are we praying for the families that have been affected and all that is going on, but pray for the event tonight that healing will begin to take place. We all need it. And if you know families that need or have students that need to be here or want to be here and are just afraid to come, bring them, invite them, have them come out tonight and we can just come together to begin to heal as a community. Yeah, I know this morning we met, um, what was her position? Remind me. Um, like in charge of all communication. Yeah, we met a woman who attends here as a part of our community and she is responsible for all communication that happens from the Oxford schools. So she came up right away and asked Jesse for all that information and she's gonna put it out through all of their outlets. So uh, there's potential for there to be a lot of hurting people here this evening. And I, I just can't, I can't underscore enough Jesse's request that you join us in prayer for God's presence to be very clear here tonight. Yeah, my name is Ryan Morrill. I work with our kids and families here at the Orion campus. And as a parent of three children, two teenagers and one elementary age child, I'm seeing each of them process things differently. And I'm trying to figure out how do I engage with each of them with where they're at? And they're all at a different place all over the map. And so what we wanna do as a church is come alongside parents. And tomorrow evening, we're gonna have a Facebook Live session where I'm gonna sit down with three close friends here at Kensington, all trained certified therapists, Robin Karen Shive, um, and Robin Kim, who's a pastor of, uh, wife of a pastor down at our Troy campus. And we're just gonna talk about how to engage in these conversations with our kids from the anxiety we're seeing to the things that we also are sensing that are underneath the surface that aren't quite there. How do we help them cope? Um, how do we help them deal with fear as well? And also how does faith enter in to all of this uh, when so much is happening around them that they don't understand. So join us tomorrow night. If you haven't followed or liked the Kensington Facebook page, this is the time to do it. And then tune in at 8.30 tonight. Uh, we hope you can be there. Thanks so much. Awesome, thank you guys. So we're just gonna close out with O Come Emmanuel, which I think is perfect because he did come. But there are moments like this where we need to ask him to show up in a different way and in a present way to us. And then when we're done with that, to you who stay, we're here to serve you. And to the rest of you, thank you for being with us. As you leave, we'll see you in the lobby and we'll see you next week. Will you sing with me as we sing the song as a, a final um, prayer for this morning?
You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.